Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hello, thanks for tuning in to FBI Radio 94.5, streaming online or on the podcast, This Is Out of the Box. It's the place where every Thursday from 12 to 1, I sit down with one person and talk through some of the stories from their life and the songs that come with them. Today, I'm recording from the FBI Radio studio on Gadigal Country, and my guest is joining me from land belonging to the Yagara Turrbal people. I want to take this moment to acknowledge that each of us are broadcasting from unceded Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to Gadigal and Yugara Turrbal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I had the privilege of growing up around artists, musicians and poets. My dad ran in those circles when I was little, so we always had really interesting visitors in our house. One was Jackie Marshall, my guest on the show today. We're going to talk about her innate creativity, her second life in Slovenia, therapy through songwriting, mysticism and so much music. I also want to give a heads up to listeners that this episode of Out of the Box does contain mentions of childhood sexual abuse. If that brings anything to the surface for you or you just need to talk to someone, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I'll also put resources on the program's page on fbiradio.com. Jackie, thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Box today. My pleasure. It's really nice to be having a chat. So you've just had a movie premiere in Sydney, and from what I understand, it's your first foray into film. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, so the film is called Three Chords and the Truth, and music fans will be aware of that as a famous quote by a guy called Harlan Howard, um, country songwriter, who said, all you need to write a great song is three chords and the truth. And uh, the film has two central characters. I play one of them, Angie, and there's a younger girl, Ruby, uh, my character is a you know middle-aged female musician who kind of coulda, shoulda, woulda, but um, messed up her chances and she's had lots of health problems and she uh, encounters this younger girl, really, who's run away from home, has been a violent home situation and she's decided that the streets were safer and so, uh, you know, my character kind of takes her in and, yeah, there's this lovely feeling of... Un, you know, not needing to necessarily discuss the trauma, but an understanding that they've both been through a lot. And uh, my character puts a guitar in the hands of the younger character and says, I think this will help you. <laughs> you better start writing music. Had you always meant to be an actor in the film? So the way that the film came about uh, was that the director and the producer had been shooting me for a Christmas special in the Compass time slot for the ABC. And then at the same time, the director uh, was shooting a documentary for a mentorship program that I'm involved in called Big Sky Girls. And they um, sort of went, that's the woman to do this role that they had churning away. And yeah, and so we had we had meetings and I got to have input in the script and the authenticity of the character. And so it was really rewarding. It's, it's interesting to me that, you know, the idea for the film didn't start with you and then the other people came on board and that it happened the other way around. Because when you tell me about the plot and the story and kind of the values in the film, they sound very close to your life, Jackie, which is what we're going to explore throughout the show today. 
Another way that the film came about was through songs from the Middle Island. Can you tell me how that fits into your movie? Yeah, look, it was just, you know, we... And we crazy artists. We have lots of projects that we sort of <laughs> float around with, and some of those projects end up getting, um, you know, you just sort of abandon them. But during COVID lockdown, I participated in an online songwriting club that a friend of mine started up very successfully. It's called I Heart Songwriting Club, and and uh, <laughs> you know, I had uh, at that time I was living in a beautiful old Art Deco flat in the middle of Brisbane City, just overlooking the uh, city, which is kind of hugged in by the river. This is lovely finger of land. And it really does look like an island. And my son, who was seven at the time, was like, can we go over to the middle island and catch Pokemon? I'm like, it's not an island, but actually it is an island. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'd be staring at this middle island and, and writing these songs in this club. And so kind of churning through different themes that came up for me and and that the club presented and trying to make a way of as it you know as you usually do when you're writing songs you it's either like the bird flies in and the whole kind of landscape becomes apparent very quickly or you just kind of feel around in the dark until you know what it's all about yeah so those songs um you know I had a whole bunch of fresh songs which was perfect for the film and you know just going back to the film sort of seem like I had a lot of input into the journey of the story of the film just because I, I think they had a you know it was just worth it you know the the juicy details play out really so beautifully so yeah there are heaps of parallels in the film um you know obviously <laughs> like there's the, the cancer journey and just being a you know an artist that um that kind of hasn't managed to thrive um, because of life getting in the way kind of thing. Although, you know, my life kind of has, I've kind of had the crisis and now I'm in thriving mode, which is a really great thing to say. <laughs> so, yeah, but there's there's parallels in the film that um, are a direct result of, you know, the authenticity of my life story and, and how it serves the story of being a female artist in Australia and being a mentor and, um, uh, you know, dealing with PTSD and uh, the therapeutic uh, capacity of music making. Jackie, you're making me so excited to watch your movie. It's called Three Chords and the Truth. When will we be able to see it? Aha, uh-huh. 2023. It's going to be out... Um, so I'm not at liberty to discuss the um, the <laughs> distribution right now, but uh, suffice to say, there's a few there's a few moving parts. Uh, it just depends on whether we go for the large scale, but it will be in Australian cinemas next year. Incredible. Well, th- yeah, that's a huge feat for you, especially with your first film, Three Chords and the Truth. I'm looking forward to seeing it and looking forward to the rest of this interview, just hearing you talk about the film. You know, you've talked about your son, you've talked about cancer, you've talked about being a trained jazz artist. And there are so many parts of your life that I want to dig into all the way up until one o'clock today. Yep. First, we're going to play a song from your life as well, Jackie. This one's by Robert Davidson, an artist who I don't know. Can you tell me about him? So, yeah, Rob is um, 
Oh, uh, Rob is my partner. He's a composer. <laughs> and uh, full disclosure, uh, we met in, in between lockdowns in Brisbane. And it's a funny thing because he's, um, he's a composer and a senior lecturer in composition at the University of Queensland and just an incredible musician. He has an ensemble called Topology. Uh, and we met, we, we knew all the same people, but we'd never met in person. So it's quite astounding, both being Brisbane people that we hadn't met. But uh, he has been a real, um, an incredibly supportive person in my life. Uh, he, he supports my creative endeavours, creative endeavours wholeheartedly and it's just a really steady and stable influence and you know I've always been a lone ranger I think I've never really been in a partnership before and being in this partnership I just feel so strong and and you know he really supported me in um, the film endeavor and uh, he is just one of those people that um, you he's sincere and so, you know, it's not like just a partner kind of propping you up and going, oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> what do you want to mm. eat tonight? You know, <laughs> so, so I believe him, you know, and for one of those, you know, it's, it's, as an artist, I mean, you're always fighting that battle of just following the muse and doing the creative thing versus looking for validation. It's just the game. And, but, you know, with him, I, I sort of feel like I'm in, I'm riding down the middle of you know no this is good this feels strong and you know he's got such a great creative insight that his support means something let's jump into one of his songs now on fbi radio 94.5 it's called lost in light chosen by jackie marshall the artist and guest on out of the box today You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or if you're streaming via the podcast or on the website, that song was called Lost in Light. It was by Robert Davidson, the partner of my guest on Out of the Box today, artist Jackie Marshall. Um, We just talked about the movie that you've just put out, Jackie, which will be in cinemas hopefully next year, Three Chords and the Truth. But I want to go back to where your life began before the movie (laughs) before your son before the cancer before all of that um so yeah where does this story start i was born on wiradjuri country uh my mum and dad were uh come from grazier families that met at uni at the university of new england and yeah i'm the oldest of four the black sheep from the (laughs) get-go i guess um, what do you mean by that uh just kind of saw the world a different way to my siblings or just you know, we'd get caught up in very liminal dream spaces or really enthusiastic spurts of creativity. And I was, uh, you know, often told that I was <laughs> too over the top and, you know, <laughs> just like and a clown and, you know, telling jokes and getting attention and, um, you know, locking myself up and fiddling around with a piano and just dreaming, yeah. I know you said that you came out of the womb that way, but was there ever a moment in your life where you realised maybe you saw things differently to everyone else? I think it was fairly apparent when my 
My grade five classmates started calling me Wacky Jackie. Um, <laughs> in that lovely way that kids like, you know, land you. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to embrace this because, you know, you don't want to feel hurt by it or ostracized and you don't want to not be who you are. Uh, yeah, so, you know, around about 10, I think. And that's when I started having, I guess, more. I'd had mystical experiences beforehand uh, in early childhood. But that was when I became conscious of pursuing those sorts of experiences. What do you mean by that? When I was when I was five, I remember um, having this experience of lying on my bed. Um, you know, you get put down for an afternoon nap in the heat of the <laughs> summer in Brisbane, and I remember looking at my hand, and then it dissolved, and then I dissolved, and then I was just more ether than solid and just really expanded through you know difficult it was like you know bigger than the galaxy kind of feeling and then um I guess when I was 10 I you know I remember seeing like a probably some terrible doco on television about how the dirty hippies of northern New South Wales or something and I was like no they're my people (laughs) (laughs) what are they doing and then there's you know people meditating and then there was these Indian guys you know sitting in the lotus position and I'm like I'll have some of that that feels like (laughs) you know something very natural to me and so I just go and hide in the corner of it we had a you know how you have the family lounge room and then you have the formal lounge room that no one goes in yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so something it's a relic of the past, but yeah. So we, um, I used to go and hide in the corner of the formal lounge room because nobody would ever <laughs> go in there. <laughs> Just sit cross-legged and go um and try and mm. <laughs> try and try and make my way back to that space. You know, uh, but yeah, I got there a few times. How did your parents feel about you investigating this, like? mystic side of yourself uh you know you know slightly amused but um too busy to worry (laughs) you Mm. know being the oldest of four there's you know babies everywhere and and um you know it was the 80s and mum and dad had come off the land and started up a dad started up a business and um you know it's one of those all-consuming see them see your dad for 20 minutes at night before bedtime kind of thing so yeah, but they're very sports focused. Uh, no music. Mum had a record player for a while, and her her brother's records were there. And then that's when I discovered Neil Young and um, Simon and Garfunkel and and things like that that Mum never played. But I was like, "What the hell is this? This is great!" <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask where your um, love for music came from because it seems like your mysticism was like a solitary adventure, and it sounds like. The music almost was too. If you're not getting those influences from home, where do they come from? Uh, you know, I discovered these records. There really weren't that many. A few different 60s, 70s American artists, uh, you know, in amongst the Mantovani and his pops orchestra and some hellish kind of tiki brass things. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I loved it. And... I, um, you know, would listen to it on rainy days and, you know, do 2,000 piece puzzles and trip out. And then, (laughs) yeah, and then uh, when I was about 13, my neighbour's dad had this old guitar in the house and I, you know, in a case, I never saw him play it, but I just opened it up one day because we were all latchkey kids because our parents were off working and 
So we just let mm. ourselves, I mean, it was amazing. I was thinking, wow, I could have gotten up to so much more trouble. Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> I found this guitar and in it were these chord charts for uh, all of these great 60s songs. You know, there was Cat Stevens when he was still Cat Stevens and Bob Dylan and, oh man, the whole deal. And he just, you know, printed out charts of songs. And because, you know, mum had dutifully packed me off to a few um, piano lessons, I could read music and... I, you know, it wasn't too hard to work out what the um, guitar tab things were doing. And so I taught myself that way and read the music. And so, you know, quite a, in my mind, a Bob Dylan so- song, like Blowing in the Wind, which was the first Bob song I learned, sounded like when I heard the, when I heard the Bob Dylan recordings, I was quite shocked because it wasn't what I'd been singing. <laughs> but, but it was, yeah. Anyway. Well, I feel like that's a perfect time to play that song, Jackie. What do you reckon? I think so. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. On Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5, chosen by Jackie Marshall. It's Bob Dylan and Blowing in the Wind. Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head and pretend that he just doesn't see the answer, my friend? Is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind On Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5 My name is Mia Hull I'm joined by artist Jackie Marshall today Who chose that song It was Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan And yeah, it was so interesting hearing you talk about that music Jackie because I don't know we talked about mystics and the way they might see the world a bit differently and then you also talked about 60s music and I don't know I feel like there's a parallel there and how 60s music tends to want to see things differently as well did you ever feel like those things talk to each other Oh, hugely. I mean, you know, everyone was dropping acid and getting like <laughs> turned on, you know, like, I mean, acid is an incredible tool in the right setting to, you know, break on through to the other side and have that expanded consciousness and realize that, you know, like it went hand in hand with all the various rebellions of the 60s. A rebellion was happening in various countries with various languages <laughs> of people having this shifting awareness that the rules that we're subject to and and you know potentially the system or organization that we're sort of subject to um throughout the world is um you know we're kind of being corralled so yeah that music i think like people just really stepping into being free in bands like the grateful dead or you know the expressive artists like janice joplin uh who really went and found the pain and went i'm letting that out of the bag right now kind of thing you know <laughs> but yeah it was a great time because it met society because society worked out that the gig was up thank you lsd albert hoffman <laughs> yep <laughs> and and yeah i guess you know you're engaging with that music when you're a teen and it talks about rebellion so sure. when you left home at 17 was that an act of rebellion or was there something else behind that I think leaving home at 17 I, I mean I just I needed to breathe and be with my people and it was a fairly not straight laced but you know they're country people we we're living in the city and like I had tra- trauma as a child that hadn't been addressed because it was the kind of family environment where you, you didn't feel you felt too ashamed to discuss that you'd been violated 
And so that kind of stuff builds up, you know, and I think by the time I was 17, I'm like, you know, ready, doing the massive bolt, primal scream, I must run from this hot pot of of not having my needs met, you know, and, and, mm. and just be free to breathe and be who I am kind of thing. So, yeah, the 60s music, you know, and of course, you know, as I mentioned, I'd found Janis Joplin and that was, to me, I'm like, yeah, that's, I, I know you, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I know that gig, man, you know, <laughs> this, is, this yeah. is where it's at, you know. But you wouldn't be out of home for very long at that time. You had to move back shortly after leaving. Um, why? Uh, yeah, so I'd left and then, um, and then I was sort of very, and, you know, I had crappy jobs, um, you know, grew the obligatory dreadlocks. And, <laughs> but I was in, I started developing pain and lethargy and my neck became very, very swollen. And uh, I just had this sort of, this isn't right. And, you know, no amount of vitamin C or, you know, early nights is going to fix this. And my mum was a nurse, so I kind of called her up and I went, I don't think I'm all right. <laughs> so she, she, bless her, took me to the doctor and the good old family GP. Um, they don't exist very much anymore. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then it was discovered that I had a, a lymph cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and so had to have a splenectomy and a bunch of radiation and... Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I sort of killed my final year of school. That was not going to happen anymore. And I didn't care. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and, but it was such a great time in a way. It was bizarre because, I mean, I wasn't afraid. Everybody else was freaking out. Um, but, um, I was kind of like, right, I told you there was something wrong with me or, you know, kind of, mm. I've been this naughty kid for so long and then suddenly I was being looked after and in my pain. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting because just before you told that story, you said I wasn't having my needs met. Yeah. And I guess they, they were almost emotional needs. You said that you were, yeah, dealing with trauma that wasn't being understood and it's interesting that, you know, it takes cancer to have your needs met and I, I wonder what that felt like for you. It's quite extraordinary feeling, you know, and being... Mm. It makes you feel uncomfortable. For, and, you know, it took me a while to realise that I was sort of created illness in order to get attention after the fact, you know, in kind of, or, you know, I'm I'm not worthy of attention just as I am, but if I'm, if, if things are going wrong, people are going to come and help me. So that was a big one to kind of get over <laughs> and mm. go, you know, and flip into the, hey, I'm thriving. Who else wants to party on this side of town? You know, that's a... <laughs> Yeah, that was a big one. So, but um, you know, it was a just it was just a relief to be cared for. And yeah, I just interrupted everything, but I um I, I moved out of home again straight away as soon as the radiation finished almost. Um mm. with my half my half head of dreadlocks cuz half my hair had fallen out. Oh my god. Oh no. You, oh, you don't want to see the worst. Like this is just <laughs> the worst 90s feral teenager like I just got it wrong every way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nothing cool. But you have to. That's that's what being 19 is for. Um, yeah. You said you didn't finish school, but, you know, that wouldn't stop you from studying, Jackie. Tell me about tell me about your degree. Yeah. So, well, you know, and moved out and moved into this great share house, fondly known as the El Hoogley Ranch, one of the last great <laughs> share houses of West End in Brisbane. With a whole bunch of, you know, left-wing environmental law students from Griffith Uni. And 
was kind of adopted as the baby member of the household. Um, and they were all like, mm. and then one of the members of the house, Anne, uh, who's still a very dear friend of mine, said, well, I think you've, you know, mucked around enough now. I think you need to go back to school. <laughs> she was she was 19 and I was 17, you know, or 18, whatever it was. And then so I went, okay, and went off to TAFE and did my equivalency there. And then by which time I'd kind of moved into a flat with another girlfriend and uh, we had those, you know, very thin fibro walls, one of those converted Queenslander flat cis things. And mm. we had these very generous neighbours... <laughs> <laughs> a mum, a single mum and her daughter, she was a devotee of a Sikh master called Sharan Singh. And um, so she taught me how to cook vegetarian and introduced me to more of what I was interested in terms of Indian spirituality. But she also heard a lot of my singing with my guitar through the wall. And she said, I think you need to go and audition for um, and go to music school. And I thought that that sounded like a good idea. So I went off and auditioned for the conservatorium and miraculously got in so and then got into the jazz department had no idea what I was doing but I just um it felt like a good place to be at the end of the 90s you know so what was it like for you at the jazz conservatorium oh it was great I still work with some of the people that I met there in my year I went through an incredible year of musicians um and yeah I still work with a guy called Chris Pickering who was in a band called the Boat People and just jammed with lots of bands you know it was that era of the chick singer you know it was pretty much if you're in the jazz department as a chick you were either singing or maybe playing piano and then the rest of it was like a major cohort of like christian saxophonists and then diehard jazz dudes doing everything you know (laughs) was but it was super fun you know i still call people up for sessions and 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 yeah it was great Uh, it took me a long time to um graduate had lots of panic attacks and I've you know since worked out that there's a fair bit of neurodiversity going on which meant that 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 system of learning and exam wasn't necessarily a great fit for me but uh, the people were fantastic and it was you know a really lovely time terrifying I knew nothing about jazz but I learned (laughs) (laughs) and I loved it and I still improvise in my live shows I mean I write considered songs that are kind of somewhere between a country song and a poem and and uh and I just read the room and find the space for different flights of vocal improvisation or you know space and I really I really love bending time that way and that's as a direct result of the permission that studying jazz gave me to be that as an artist. Throughout the show today, I want to continue digging into your journey as an artist and the things you've created. Just before we talked about jazz school, we talked about your encounter with cancer when you were a teenager. And unfortunately, that wouldn't be the end of your journey with cancer. Can you tell me about when it first came back? Uh, yeah. So, well, you know, I had a son in 2011 to a guy that turned out to be not so friendly. And he um, decided that he was the superior parent and took my son from me. And I had to, I spent a lot of time trying to um, negotiate the family court system uh, as a single mum with significant mental health issues. Um, I'd had postpartum, uh, uh, just a whole bunch of stuff and had been hospitalised for that and uh, in an extended way, but it was great because I got a lot of mental health help. But then when my son's son's father decided that my son would be better off with him, he sort of went around telling everyone I was crazy and... uh, 
which of course made me crazier and <laughs> and of course created a huge load of stress in my body, which uh, then, well, uh, first off ended up having, uh, having to have a total thyroidectomy. So I had a thyroid cancer and then um, like 18 months later, uh, I found out I had breast cancer. So, uh, and you know, I really see the cancers as a direct link to major stresses in life. I mean, the the Hodgkin's lymphoma at 17 was just a build-up of not being able to tell people that I'd been abused. And then, you know, later, I mean, like the whole having a child taken from you is just one of the most horrendous things that you can go through. And, uh, and the stress that that put on my body uh, was extraordinary. And so, yeah, I landed with breast cancer again, but beat it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Um, and you know, I just, uh, I think the third, because I'd had the cancer as a teenager and, you know, rather than being in the fear matrix with that cancer, I was more like relieved that I was being cared for. I think I didn't, fear really didn't kick in with the other cancers. I just went, well, we know how to run this rodeo. Let's, uh, invite some friends around, (laughs) get some whiskey and, um, you know, swim some laps to eat some salad and 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 live well and you know go on weird tinder dates and have fun (laughs) jackie you talked about janice joplin just before and you've chosen her to play on out of the box today tell me about the song you've picked yeah so you know work me lord is this great song she's got this band this is sort of a mid to late Janice and she's just sort of going, you know, come on, give me my purpose in life. And, you know, I couldn't identify with what everybody else was doing in terms of, you know, going off and getting their law degrees or their trades or their this or that. Or I mean, it was always staring me in the face to be a musician, but I guess that song I was just like, come on, give me my purpose. You know, I mean, surely it's not music. Surely it's surely <laughs> something... Like the picture didn't quite work out, you know, but but that song is really, um, for me, it's Janice at peak kind of, you know, acknowledging the divine, letting the pain out, rocking with the band, moving through the story and really, you know, taking everybody on a great um, emotional, spiritual journey to arrive at a kind of sense of peace, even though you're still asking a question, you know. <laughs> it's Janice Joplin on FBI Radio 94.5. The song is called Work Me Lord. Every day I keep trying to move forward But something is driving me Work Me Lord, it was Janice Joplin on FBI Radio 94.5. You are listening to Out of the Box. My name is Mia Hull and I'm joined by artist Jackie Marshall who chose that song. Jackie, earlier in the show you um, talked about your son Augie and how after he was born you spent some time in a mental hospital. I'm not going to make you talk about that now. Um, I'd actually rather talk about what happened after it because you went from being a patient to actually helping people who suffered with mental health problems themselves. Tell me about that shift. How does that happen? Yeah. So when I got back up to, um, 
I, I was in a hospital down in uh, north of Sydney for a few months and when I came back up to Brisbane, I was a single mum, uh, you know, kind of living on the charity of my, my own parents uh, <laughs> and um, as these things happen. But I, uh, I hadn't been in the scene, in the music scene for quite a while and I was contacted by a woman called Deb Suckling who runs a record label called Sugar Rush Records in Queensland and she does a whole bunch of grassroots sort of projects uh, to assist uh, young women and to assist people who are experiencing violence and uh, just all manner of um, projects involving music and music therapy. And she had a concept for a show called The Soldier's Wife where uh, she had a neighbour whose partner had served and he had PTSD and there was a whole big download about what that experience was like for her neighbour and... Deb thought, well, this is a really interesting community of people that live in a silo that don't necessarily have access to the, or sounds like they don't necessarily have access to the kind of supports um, that would benefit them. And, um, you know, it's an interesting story and it's good for the rest of the community to know about. So she got a bunch of songwriters from Queensland, myself included, to um, go and consult with different families um, of servicemen and women and to help sort of tease out their stories and write songs with them in a therapeutic process. And we had a psychologist engaged as well. So we had different protocols and we toured around mostly in Queensland a little bit. You know, we played in the Opera House and did some stuff down in Canberra, but we, yeah, we're mostly up north and hanging out on barracks with uh, different families and, and, um, and, hearing them tell their stories and writing songs that reflect um, their experiences of PTSD or intergenerational PTSD, lots of, and lots of positives, you know, lots of community stories that you wouldn't necessarily hear every day about the uh, veterans and serving community. How do you navigate something like that as someone who yourself suffers from PTSD? Was that did that have a positive impact on your own experience or does your own experience maybe have a positive impact on the way that you work? Tell me about the relationship between those things. I think you you understand that the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, your chemistry is kind of frazzled and you're kind of a bit rewired in layperson's terms. And uh, so there are triggers for somebody experiencing PTSD that um, can send them into a mental health episode that might not necessarily be viewed as triggered triggers by others. And so you're always aware of, you know, talking too much about something or drilling down into an area or, you know, just really noticing subtly what's going on for the person that you're consulting with and making sure at all times that they're in a place where they feel either comfortable to continue or, you know, comfortable to stop. And, and you just you just have that awareness because of having, knowing myself that there are certain situations um, or conversations, uh, even news stories that can uh, trigger an episode for mm. me or tr- potentially trigger an episode for me. So you're, you're just really gentle and respectful and um, observant and, you know, try and nurture the, try and give the person a sort of 
nourishing and safe experience so that they can be able to express and allow the experience rather than holding it in. And so I think the therapeutic songwriting experience with people is, you know, they can talk about things that they can't necessarily talk about with their family members because they're in a safe place with people that understand their experience and and so they can kind of process that trauma through speaking about it and there's a sense of release in the physical body people sort of sit taller and they feel more you can see them sort of going oh you know I I could it's safe I feel I feel Mm. better that's off you know you'd often hear well I'm glad I got that off my chest you know Thank you for sharing that, Jackie. Um, no I want to take a violent left turn. Um, you've chosen <laughs> a song by Camino Igra to play on the show. I don't know this artist. Can you tell me about them? Yeah, so this is a band from Slovenia. This album's uh, Ishwan from 2001. I came across the album in 2003. Uh, Slovenia is kind of my second spiritual home it sounds wanky to say that but um I just have some very dear friends and I it's been a very formative and nourishing place for me as an artist I landed there in 2003 a mate of mine got invited to uh, talk on a media conference because he'd been involved in a uh, in an international internet prank uh, called Stop Biopeep by a guy called Joey Skaggs, an American um, media artist who's kind of like an activist. And my mate Larry was involved in the science end of it and there was a Slovene intelligence operative called Misho who was also involved in it and it all got a bit juicy and, you know, there are arrest warrants and all of that kind of thing. They scammed the, you know, American media. You can look it up um, for the details. But... Uh, yeah, so I landed there and with Larry and um, was hanging out with him and and then he went back to Switzerland um, with his girlfriend and we and I met a whole bunch of artists and theatre people, directors and musicians and I just sort of ended up staying uh, and forming all of these great friendships that are, you know, still to this day, you know, texting and calling and, and working on new projects together and I go back and, and do various things and they come out here and, yeah. And the song you've picked is called Ananania. Um, is there a reason yeah. you chose this one? Yeah, I chose this one because from a musical perspective, the lead singer in particular, Jan, uh, sings in this sort of way that I like to create, which is an onomatopoeic um it's like a it, it's a precursor to Sigur Ross, you know. He, um, it's not scat, but it's a sort of a made-up language that f- you can feel the sincerity of the emotion behind it, and you know that really appealed to my sensibilities as an improviser um, vocally and mm. as a jazz artist. Plus, it's just they're great. There's just an incredible amount of um, virtuosic musicians over there, and so it's just a pure pleasure to listen to. In a couple of minutes' time, we'll talk a little bit more about your time in Slovenia, but right now we'll stay on this song on FBI Radio 94.5. It's by Camino Igra. It's called Ananania on Out of the Box.
You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5. This show is out of the box and that song was called Ananania by Camino Igra, chosen by Jackie Marshall, artist and guest on the show today. And since 12 o'clock today, we've walked through the story of Jackie's very big life. It's had moments in Slovenia, it's had moments at jazz school and right now I went on a jump in between those two things to when you finished jazz school, Jackie, you ended up at a protest in the South Australian desert. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah, so um, I, I was I got, got introduced to uh, activism very early on. One of my first share houses in Queensland was a... Um, was a, an activist household of budding environmental lawyers and and that sort of thing, you know, people that ran the food co-op at uni and, and were all in the Student Representative Council for the Greens and all of that kind of thing. So we're always at protests or uh, so I think we went to Jabaluka in 98 and there was a lot of sand mining on Stradbroke that we were um, uh, trying to stop, various forest campaigns that went on. Uh, but one of the last campaigns, or yeah, one of the last sort of campaigns of that era of my life was the Baxter Detention Centre. So people remember that we had the Woomera Detention Centre and then we had the Baxter Deten- Detention Centre in the South Australian desert, north of Port Augusta. Really true um, scrub desert, red dirt, burrs and, and really in the absolute middle of nowhere. And it was just a crime that these people are being kept behind <laughs> Razor wire, these families. Uh, so uh, there was a massive peaceful protest organised uh, and convoys of cars that went down. This is uh, 2003. And uh, went, you know, I was in a very unroadworthy car with a whole bunch of fellow righteous ladies, uh, you know, and we were with food, not bombs. So we were the caterers. Um, you know, at one stage, somebody hit a roux and so we chopped off the tail and that went in the soup on a big 44-gallon drum over there. <laughs> anyway, and that was an interesting one, actually. It's the first time I'd seen um, heavily armed police come into an unarmed uh, unarmed protest camp and there were a few hundred and there were lots of families camped out. It was a real family kind of... You know, families on the outside, families on the inside kind of thing. And it was, you know, and choppers flying over and they were accusing people of pointing weapons at choppers and they were just, you know, um, stands for camera gear and all sorts of weird stuff. But, yeah, it was kind of heavy. And But uh, we made it and we made it back, you know. Like I said, hit a few ruse and a few incidents <laughs> along the way. But we're, uh, I don't know if we're that much further ahead, but I, I still maintain that it's important to have a physical presence in terms of protest sites because um, it's a big-ass country and lots of stuff's going down that we don't know about. And the people that go and blockade, I fully respect. It's a really important job to make sure that these issues stay in the, in uh, discussion and stay in common knowledge because otherwise a whole lot of badass dudes get away with a whole lot of badass shit, you know? <laughs> And then so you go from there to the media prank in Slovenia that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a part of the prank, but I was a part of the kind of reconnaissance, you know, like the, the sort of the, uh, you know, the the clean, the, the fun bit where you get to talk about it and why it worked. And there's a whole bunch of Slovenia is a highly educated country and, and Slovenes travel widely. You know, they're in Cuba and Galapagos and New York and you name it there. You'll. Um, and certainly that's held true in my travels where I've 
been on a bus somewhere weird and turned my head and gone you know like what'd you just say you're talking Slovene you know like let's have a conversation if I, you know this is a tiny country you know you can drive across it in two and a half hours well two hours really because you can drive <laughs> real fast but <laughs> amazing Jackie I realize I'm jumping around in the story a little bit but I think I'm just trying to paint a picture of how big and full your life is to have been you know at this protest in the desert to then you know building a second life for yourself in Slovenia. And I kind of want to jump now to when you first got back from Slovenia and you're back in the desert a second time, actually in the middle of New South Wales at the Nimiji Outback Festival. It's the place where I think our lives first crossed paths as well. But can you first tell me how you arrived there? Yeah, sure thing. Well, uh, I landed back in Australia, I think probably ran out of money or something or had to come back (laughs) for a job or something, you know in your 20s you know and I was doing a peer review for Australia Council and Nimiji the festival had put in for some funding and they had submitted an album of a band called The Remains this Australian country rock and roll band that I'd never heard of and I'd never really heard anyone make music like that before I guess I'd come out of indie 60s and um, jazz stuff but I hadn't heard you know old country Americana hadn't heard like and I hadn't heard proper Australian story I mean I'd heard sort of trashy country Australian stuff but I hadn't heard really hard living (laughs) Australian stories in country rock and roll and I and I just thought this band I need to go and meet these guys and so I took myself off to Tamworth Country Music Festival and um stalked the band really and (laughs) and then made friends with them and um the rest is history. I mean, I ended up doing some tours with them, done lots of shows. You know, uh, Lee, who uh, plays guitars in the band, um, I uh, he got cornered to do some acting in the film that I made. <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, but those guys, uh, Nimiji Outback Country Music Festival, it was this grand thing that happened in an old mine um, right in the dead centre of New South Wales. And it was a real conglomeration of Australian songwriters, musicians. It was, you know, it was definitely not profitable or, you know, one of those. And it was chaos and workplace health and safety, forget it. But yeah, and I got, um, I was I was coronated at that festival. So it was, it was a really special moment <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, spontaneously. By Mia Hull's father, Andrew Hull, the poet. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, folks. Um, yeah, a- Andrew is a, a beautiful poet and artist and dreamer, really. And he uh, he was emceeing the festival. I'd been mucking around, you know, walking through the scrub in the afternoon and I had this stupid big blue dress on and had my hair up and I gradually had built up this magnificent crown of peppercorns and sprigs and other strange bits of so it had this sort of flower crown but it was a bush flower crown it was just a joke kind of thing but I Mm. walked up on stage to do my set and and Andrew turned around he goes and now we have and he's looking at me and and doing a quick (laughs) process the peppercorn queen you know I was like great and so after that um I've been known as the peppercorn queen forevermore uh (laughs) which is amazing yeah it's lovely it's like you know you um um, it's nice to be granted a, a special nickname. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's go back to the remains, Jackie, because you ended up touring with them. What was that experience yep. like? Uh, well, you know, I learned everything I know. <laughs> it's like 
I think um, it can be summed up with the catchphrase, eating is cheating, really. It's a terrible thing to say, but yeah, it was pretty, at that stage, they were pretty, um, you know, it's, you're, you're paying, you're playing, you're playing pub gigs in the regions, you're, you're playing for a really base public and fee, you might have a room in the hotel, you can drink all you want, which is, um, you know, because you're not really getting paid enough, you feel like you want to make up for it with <laughs> sinking mm. lots of beer and rum, but uh, lots of great music and characters. You meet some fantastic people out on the road and you end up writing songs about them and good people and just a soulful way to live your life. I couldn't imagine anything better at the time and, and I'm really glad that I learned how to, um, you know, sustain that amount of mayhem over mm. <laughs> that kind of time. <laughs> Jackie, I love listening to you tell stories and I wish we had more than an hour, um, but I'm going to have to wrap it up. Um, can you tell me what the future holds for you? Yeah, I've got a, well, the, the film, of course, is going to come out. Um, mm. I've got some, um, a, an album coming out in 2023 uh, called You're Not Too Much and You Are Enough, little hat dip to the uh, neurodiverse out there and uh gonna do uh working on a children's opera with my friend Barbara Stupitzer director in Slovenia and uh, a few tricky little things that I can't talk about (laughs) (laughs) great yeah and I'll put a link to the trailer of that film three chords and the truth on the programs page on fbiradio.com as well as a link to your website Jackie so we can keep an eye on that album but Thank you so much for joining me. It's been so nice getting to know you like this. Oh, thanks. You know, and I just, um, I think it's it's really good for people to be able to tell their stories no matter what they've been through. And, uh, you know, I hope that people can uh, relate to um, my experience and, and find some things empowering for themselves in that. I think it'd be great to end on a Remains song now, Jackie. You've chosen History of Flies. <laughs> What's this song about? Uh, Well, I won't blow the story because it's kind of fun to follow, but uh, just a really great country rock and roll song about things going terribly wrong in the bush and, you know, people misbehaving and uh, not quite hilarity ensuing, but it's it's like a a really upbeat tragedy, (laughs) I think. Lots of red dirt and flies and, and... misery and the joy of misery if that's a thing <laughs> <laughs> an upbeat tragedy on out of the box on fbi radio 94.5 this is the remains chosen by jackie marshall the song is called history of flies hey thanks so much for tuning in it's been such a pleasure having your company if you did want to listen back to this episode you can do that on the programs page on fbiradio.com where i'll also have links to jackie's website so you can keep an eye out for that album that she was talking about and a trailer to her film Three Chords and The Truth which is coming out next year as well. I'm also going to put some links to some resources so if anything that we talked about today brought anything to the surface for you or you just need to talk to someone those are there. You can also call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This was the second last episode of Out of the Box for the year. The last one is next week where I'll be doing a 2022 retrospective episode so please stay tuned for that and please stay tuned for lunch up next as well. Thanks so much. FBI. Well, we've made it all the way from Perth to Sydney with the aid of hash, ginger wine and luck. 
And a convoy of three vehicles led by an international truck It is a tale of a rock and roll band That descended into madness and misery For the manager, the spy, the pilot, drummer, and the singer, me 